VI Shots Live View Podcast, Episode 8. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of VI Shots. My name is Michael Ivaliotis, and this is the podcast devoted to the world of LabVIEW. With each episode, I bring you interviews, discussions, and share with you ideas for how you can take your LabVIEW development to the next level. Well, thank you all for joining me on this episode of the VI Shots podcast. Wow, eight episodes. That's incredible. Just when I think I've run out of ideas or run out of people to speak to, I find someone else who's willing to talk about LabVIEW and how that has changed their world. Today is no exception. I'm really excited to have a friend of mine on the show, Terry Stratudakis. As you can tell by the name that uh, Terry has a Greek background and his name is just as easy to pronounce as mine. Terry and I first met at an iWeek many years ago. I believe that goes as far back as 2004. Is that true, Terry, or is it earlier than that? I think so. I think maybe even earlier, but yeah, somewhere around then. Yeah, I think 2004 sounds about right. And uh, Terry has been uh, working on some pretty exciting stuff. And uh, most recently, he's been using LabVIEW FPGA uh, to do some financial uh, work, do some work in the financial industry, let's put it that way. And he's here to talk to us more about that. So welcome, Terry. Thanks, Mike. So just to start off, um, can you uh, go into a little bit of an overview of what what your work is in the financial industry in specific? Sure. So the general class of problems that we're, we're solving in, in the financial industry is falls under the general category of high-performance computing. And then within that, we're using FPGAs for low latency and high-throughput applications. Sometimes they contain both. Sometimes they contain one or just the other. And so that's at a very general level. We... Some time ago, we saw that the financial world uh, uses FPGAs. The way we, we got into this, we like how NI likes to say, National Instruments likes to say that we want to have LabVIEW everywhere. And But if you're here in New York, in Manhattan, you don't have that much use of LabVIEW, except for maybe in the academia, like in the schools. And so we started to research what the technical needs of the financial industry is. And we, we attended some of these conferences a few years ago, and lo and behold, we saw companies branding themselves or just even marketing their, their tools and their solutions on the mere fact that they're using FPGAs. Now, you may have also heard that they're using GPUs, graphical process card, gra- processing cards, and that's for more high throughput. But now there's a so, very strong there- need for FPGAs, yeah? And this is, uh, and, and more specifically in your case, this is for using um, in the stock market, I guess, for uh, trading or buying and selling trades? Yeah. So what has been happening in the past couple of years is the, the volume and the amount of messages, the trade messages that go back and forth have been increasing at a, at a very high rate. And and this is not something that just a, a regular computer or even a high-powered server can handle. And and as they as they seek to optimize the the, the, the trade time. In other words, uh, you have data that comes in, you have messages, market data that comes in, and then you have to make some kind of decision and then send out trade messages. So whether this is done by an algorithm or it's done by a, a trader, the latency is a very sensitive issue for them. So it, it this is, our, our, the, the users of this are typically uh, larger. It's not retail. It's not people that are, that have maybe an E-trade or a, you know an account where they're buying maybe a, a couple of hundred shares or, or something like that. This is the target user for this are people that uh, are, are are doing what's called co-location. So the, the, the exchanges have placed their data set, their, their matching engines in data centers and there are banks and, and hedge funds and prop trading firms that will pay a premium to have their servers in the same building as the exchanges servers to reduce on the, on the, on the transaction time, on the time to send the message or the time to get the market data. And so it's those people that would benefit from using FPGAs because that's the next step. In other words, data is coming in on the wire. On, you know, it can be on Ethernet, it can be on InfiniBand, it can be on any kind of uh, network, network uh, cable. So then after that, they go into network cards or they can go into a network card that's powered by an FPGA. So it is, it is very much on, on the stock market. It's for equities or for, for futures and commodities uh, options. So it, it, it has, uh, within, within finance, it's within a specific group. And yes, it has to do mainly with with trading. There's also another side that has to do with analytics, and this is the side that has to do with uh, there are certain valuations that they need to run, there are certain risk analysis that they need to run, which have to do with maybe Monte Carlo methods or some kind of repetitive calculations that they need to run overnight or even during the daytime. And that's where an FPGA can be very beneficial because you can really reduce the the your energy footprint and just the size of your your compute then the amount of computers that you have because some of these banks will have literally thousands, maybe even even in the tens of thousands of cores running these computations. So if you can reduce that, that has a very high value to them. 
Right. So in in the trading, we're talking uh, as far as, you know, turnaround time where you have to actually get a signal, uh, do some processing and send a response. We're talking uh, what what kind of time frame, like seconds, so, milliseconds? Yeah. So they're 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 mainly looking at sub millisecond. Uh, they have a they have a, a tick data. So tick to trade is the term that a lot of them use. And so tick is the market data that's coming in. So this is if you would if we use the analogy of a control system, this is your data that's coming in. It depends depending on their strategy. Uh, from discussions that I've had with people, some people are very secretive about this because they fear that that may give away their strategy. But generally speaking, it's in it's sub millisecond. This whole round trip time, uh, some are in the hundreds, maybe like a sub one hundred microseconds, and there's some that are claiming to be in the single digit microseconds. Uh, I don't think there's anyone that's below that. And at that level, you become limited by the gigabit and ten gigabit. Just the actual the amount of bytes that you need to process before you can make a trade decision becomes your limiting factor. In other words, you, you just can't go any faster than the rate at which gigabit or 10 gigabit gives you data. And then you can and then how fast you can send the data out. So those are those are the loop time. That's a very broad range uh, of, of, of loop times. Now, we've spoken to people from South America and there the loop times are a little bit slower. Technology hasn't advanced yet, but they are looking at this for the future. And in uh, you know places like Asia and Europe, uh, but so, so geography will also play a factor in this, as well as the asset class. In other words, if you're trading equities, what we call stocks, this, the rate is much faster. Whereas if you're trading uh, the more Chicago style, which is futures, it, they may not be trade. They may not trade that that quickly, or the, the need may not be there yet. For well, actually, one one question I have, um, yeah. which I don't understand, is how. Uh, because FPGA, I mean, the way I'm used to it uh, with the NI hardware is, you know, measuring a voltage, right? Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> you measure a voltage, you do something with it, um, and then you control an output voltage potentially. Right. Uh, so how does trading, which sort of is on the internet, how, can you explain that tie into the yeah. FPGA? How is that connection uh, happening? So the, the NI platform has the FlexRio uh, set of cards, and those FlexRio cards have a, there's there's a, company out of Sweden that made the, the Previs is, a, is an alliance partner. They made a, a, a dual gigabit adapter. And so using that, you can have the FPGA process data that's coming in on, from the internet or from, from any kind of network. And then on the on the flip side, you can, after you've made a decision, you can also send data out. And so imagine you can have a, a whole bank of FlexRio cards with this kind of connectivity. And so now you're moving more towards communicating with that kind of data with, with network trade data comes in the form of TC, TCP or UDP. And so here you're able to process it at a, at a much lower level. In other words, you're not waiting for it to hit software. And this is this is a gigabit card or what kind of card is it? Yeah, they have two gigabit ports on that. Oh. And so that's, for some for some trading strategies, that's sufficient. Some people are now looking at 10 gigabit. Some people I hear are even looking at 40. But this, this does cover quite a few use cases. Uh, also, we've seen that when you talk about latency, Going faster doesn't necessarily reduce your latency. We've seen people that run even sub one gigabit, and you know, for their unique case, that's uh, sufficient, and it gives them the b a better latency actually. So the critical part is sort of the turnaround time <clears throat> for the response, I guess. Yes, yes, that's 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 a that's a because what's happening is a lot of the traders have similar strategies or you know, what they call technical analysis where they're looking at different charts and they're looking at different indicators, a lot of these things are, are documented and, and people know that these, you know, this, this type of, this, this symbol will follow that, that symbol. Or, you know, if, if, if this company reports good earnings, then the whole, the whole sector may go up or go down. You know, these, 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 these relationships are, are very old and they, and they know them. And so now what we're doing is we're just going even faster. One would think maybe 40 years ago or whenever they first had phones on the exchange, that reduced the latency. Then when they started setting up modems and then you started to go electronic, you know, all this here, this is just a, a progression of technology where you're just reducing latency. And and whoever has that information faster, and this is the, the general idea in, in any kind of market, whoever has the, the more accurate information faster and then can respond faster can be the most profitable. Right. I mean, we're talking a lot of money here, right? <laughs> it is. It is. It is. Which, uh, which is actually probably a good business to be in. Is that one of the reasons you guys chose that? <laughs> well, the main the main motivator motivator for us was the the geography. I mean, we're in we're in New York, and right. I, I, it started with curiosity. We were alliance, we've been alliance partners for a number of years, and you know, we did a lot of just general manufacturing, defense, test lab related uh, systems, and we we wanted to to see what 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 is there different. You know, we we saw that a lot of alliance partners would focus on whatever was the the local industry, so to speak, and and that's. Finance is certainly the local industry, if you would, here in New York. Even after what's happened with the financial crisis, it still is, you know, things 
are cyclical, but it still is a very big center. And and so we started to just research that. I mean, at first we we thought maybe we could just make a LabVIEW toolkit just for the general uh, Windows or, or Linux uh, development environment. But then when we saw that they were using FPGAs, that really shifted our, our, our approach and our view on things. And we still keep the idea of you making a finance toolkit open, but just using using FPGAs. The, the, the big problem that a lot of the, a lot of the financial people that we would meet would say is that they would have these, the, the problem of programming the FPGA quickly. They would say, we can't program these FPGAs as quickly. And I would ask a lot of them, have you heard of Labby FPGA? Some of them would say yes. Some of them would say no, uh, you know, for a number of reasons. They, they, may, they may have not been aware of it. I think some of them are looking at it from a very low-level point of view. You know, they think that there's this fear that if you use something that's high-level or something that's graphical, it, you know, it's, it's a common situation that we all face with, with LabVIEW. They think it's graphical, so they get really scared of it, and they think that it's not going to be fast enough. Um, but our papers have proven otherwise. So is that uh, one of your um, benefits, is that it's in LabVIEW and you can quickly turn around um, sort of yeah. development? Yeah, I mean, there are things... The, the white paper that we've published and we've we've shared that link on on lava is uh, talks about canceling out messages very quickly and we're using a protocol that the fi- financial community uses for called fix and this is a, a think of it as gpib but in finance be very very general in other words the way of everyone communicating with each other and i talk to a lot of people and they say yeah we've done we've done fix in an fpga and i always ask them so how many people were on that team <laughs> you know and they're sometimes a little embarrassed to say the truth or they don't you know they may not want to necessarily say but or or they'll, they'll say to us we we've done this type of we've done everything that you've done and you know, you, it's a tip it's a, it's the usual question that we ask in the lab community to other people and say okay fine you can do this in c you can do this in another in another language but what's your what's your turnaround time and so with lab not only can we program more things on the fpga we can we can program faster but we can also expand the, the possible use cases. And so in some cases, the financial world has typecasted the FPGA. They think it's just good for certain applications because for anything else, you can't program it that fast. You can't make the changes this quickly. Yeah. And so is, it, is it be, because it, they're looking at... Um, is, is it because right. the algorithms change? The algorithms, it's it's not... Well, like, I mean, is there um, a customer finds that, well, you know, we have to do, we have to do change our strategy a little bit um, and then they have to reprogram the FPGA? It's, it's the strategy and there's many other parts to it as well. So it, it's, it's, it's this, it's, there's a number of parts to it. Mm-hmm. So there's, they, they look at it as, as the, also they look at the, the, the trade-off. Yeah. So there, in some cases there's also, they're not comfortable with the idea of using FPGAs for, for everything. So uh, well, you said that a lot of companies do co-location. Um, yeah. How does that work with uh, the NI hardware? Because it's not a standard PC, I guess. Um, does that does the, do you does the customer provide the, their own hardware when in the co-location situation? In the co-location situation, the the PC can run the the PXI chassis can run with its own uh, controller, or it can plug into uh, you you know it can plug into one of their existing servers using you know they can put any kind of hardware they want in there. And, right. Right. Existing FPGA-based vendors will provide these boxes that have FPGAs in there that they've pretty much made everything from scratch. It's just the way those boxes will go in there. You can pretty much put anything. The 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 data center gives you rack space, or they give you a cage, you know, certain some amount of space, whatever amount your your budget and and your needs have, and that that's how that part works. So that's that's the the form factor isn't isn't that much of an issue. So there's the algorithm acceleration. But is that the most popular or common application for FPGA? Right now, the most common application for FPGAs in finance is what's called market data handling. And what that means is, in, in a practical sense, is that you have right, a typical market data feed, like data that's coming directly from the stock exchange, or, you know, because there's many exchanges, will have, could have up to 7,000 or 8,000 symbols, right, different companies. And most strategies that are being processed by a single computer or a single trader don't involve more than 10, 20, 30, 50, even 100. And even if you were to go higher, the computer itself just can't process models or just analysis on on more stocks. So market data handling is where you, you take data and not just process it, pre, do pre-processing in the FPGA, but you can also do filtering. You know, why burden your software, why burden your computer with all kinds of data when you can have an FPGA at the network level doing some pre-processing. And because an FPGA has registers that you can update on the fly, you know, like variables, so you can send in, like, let's say at the middle of the day, you say, well, you know, I, I want to change instead of these 50 stocks, I want to look at these 50, another 50 stocks. FPGA can, you know, it, it's flexible enough where it can do that as well. What, what do yeah. you mean by processing, like um, checking for certain variables in the market? Well, the, the data comes in. Trading software, uh, market data comes in. Not everyone has the same format, right? Even though we use the fixed standard, 
that's probably maybe like 30% of all transactions are using that standard, even though that is the highest percentage. So people, some, some exchanges, for example, will format the data in a very efficient binary format. Some exchanges send out the data in a compressed format. Whatever it is, it, it usually isn't, they all don't have the same exact format. In other words, even just data being reordered, right? Like data comes in and instead of the first five bytes being the symbol, it's the price. And, you know, one guy does it, one exchange does it a certain way and then another exchange does it another way. Your trading software has to, I mean, those those are like, those are exchange adapters or market data adapters. Those have to be, you know, usually that's done in software where you just, depending on what it is, you know, some kind of uh, case structure that says, okay, it's this type of data, uh, use this parser. Whereas you could do that in an FPGA a lot more deterministically and a lot more, you know, you can, you're basically just taking load off of the uh, software. So there's a lot of data conversion that happens. There's a, there's a lot of data. I mean, to give you an idea, in some cases, it's this, this processing can be a whole a whole server that then takes the data and it's now in a good format and then sends it out to the, all the traders. So here you can take that and reduce, you, you're reducing, so you're reducing processing and you can even reduce hops. You know, like network hops, the data comes in and it goes right into what maybe you're asking about the algorithms. It's almost like the algorithms aren't even, some of these guys aren't even up to automating or accelerating the algorithms. They're still worrying about all this data that's coming in, like the fire hose you know, analogy, like trying to drink from a fire hose. And so that's the most popular application. Just this in and of itself, you know, there's a couple of companies that have already made a, a business out of uh, providing you know, FPGA boxes, boxes that have FPGAs that do this sort of thing. And you need to have FPGAs because the feed uh, formats will change. And you have to, you know, they give you enough notice to change, you know, to update your software, to update your hardware, but it has to change. So it, it, not, it ha not that it has to change, but it will change. And sort of offloading it onto FPGA is one thing. And the other, I guess, is being able to turn around quickly and adapt to the new format. Yeah. 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 So that, that's why they don't put the whole thing. Like when you say the algorithm, it's, it's, almost, it's almost like before you even get to the algorithm, you have to do some processing on the data, normalize it, you know, see what's just know what's what. So that's that's the that, as I said that's the biggest application. Then there's you know, and, and companies make what the, the term for that they use for these. They're market data handlers. And another term for this, it's not the same thing exactly, but they're think of them as ticker plants. So you can have the, these companies make boxes that you can connect up 30, 40 data feeds, and they just have a whole bank of FPGAs that are just doing data aggregation. If you if put it this way, especially when the market opens and when it closes, that's when the peak data peaks. A regular computer, the, the, the amount of data that's coming out these days, it's a full load of gigabit, if not more. And a, even a modern, you know, very fast computer will, you know, just the TCP stack alone of, of processing all this data and the UDP, you know, all, all just the network layers will, will consume the computer's resources. So that's, that's, that's the one side. That's, that's what people are, are comfortable with right now in finance. What other applications can be accelerated with Lavi FPGA? After that, you put things into, you have algorithmic acceleration. So now people are looking at accelerating. So now they've got this market data part figured out. So you can accelerate the algorithm, which we did touch on. And then the other part that we have, so once you, you've made your decision to buy or sell or to do whatever it is, you have order entry. So that in and of itself could be its own server, its own com set of computers that are just managing how the orders are going to get executed and just managing them and making sure that everything goes according, accordingly. And that, in that sense, from that side, what we've seen is you can take data and... You know, in the fixed protocol, a typical message, a trade message, is 150 bytes or maybe 200 bytes on average. The data that contains that, in other words, this message is is self-describing. It has it's it's not very efficient. The data itself can be encapsulated into maybe 40 bytes. So another application is instead of having your software build out the whole message, why not send an FPGA the 40 bytes or whatever it is and let the FPGA build out the full message and and then send it out. So you're taking load off of software again on the outbound side then another app so that's the order entry and then another application is what's called order matching and so exchanges right now in other words exchanges right now compete with each other believe it or not on matching time and how and how how fast they can match orders during the flash crash certain exchanges were overloaded with with data you know with with trades and some of the automated or uh you know trading software shifted over and started trading on the ones that were still working and still more efficient that didn't you know shut down or, or didn't have issues. So that's an extreme situation. But if you go to the website of a lot of these, a lot of the exchanges like NASDAQ, New York Stock Exchange, London Stock Exchange, BATS is one that most people don't know about, but it's a very new, maybe five or six year old one that's very high tech. And it's a, they've proven themselves to be very scalable. You know, the more volume they've gotten, they've been able to manage it and handle it very efficiently. And so that's a place where there's a lot of people looking at using FPGAs to do this matching. And matching, we mean, you know, everyone submits orders to the exchange and there's some 
algorithm in there. There's some program that looks at all the orders and says, okay, Mike wants to buy 100 shares of National Instruments at $30. And John wants to buy, John wants to sell 100 shares at 30 of the same stock. And that that's what puts them together. It actually takes those and, and matches them. It says, okay, this is now a trade and sends it back an execution report to both of you. And usually it makes, it's also something that's publicly displayed as well. So that, that process, and it's something where it's below millisecond. I think the fastest ones are maybe in the low hundreds, maybe 200 microseconds uh, matching time. And these are, these are their, their, their highest, their best numbers. And during high load, they, they probably won't be able to match that fast, but that's a place where the exchanges themselves uh, will compete on. Um, and then there's a whole other slew of problems that we've found that are more network specific. In other words, they're not problems that are really finance related, but because these financial firms are, are managing a lot of network data, there's places where things are running inefficiently. Maybe because some of this network hardware wasn't made for those types of applications, or they're just changing the size of the packets. They're, they're doing different things to the, to the network data for various reasons. You know, Sometimes we don't even see or understand why it's being done from a business side, but there's inefficiencies. And there's enough cases that we've come across that are purely network level, UDP, TCP, IP uh, type of, of, of you know, functions or, you know, uh, features that you would program into an FPGA that will save these guys a lot of time. And as we all know, that that time very closely equivocate, you know, is relates to, uh, you know, a bottom line to money. So how does your uh, FPGA um, system integrate? Um, so with other other systems, I know there's the the network card where you receive uh, trade orders, I assume, or and then there's do you integrate with other messaging systems? To sort of like alarming systems, perhaps, or anything like that. Well, the first we we chose the the fixed protocol because the fixed protocol is the most commonly used uh, messaging protocol in, in finance. It's been around since the early '90s, and so this was a instead of just choosing one particular protocol that's maybe used only on a specific exchange, we chose this to cover a lot of bases, and also we saw that no one had done too much with FPGAs and fix. Um, but because we're using a, a standard protocol, the, the receiver of our system, in other words, when we tested the system out, the receiver was running uh, the open, ver open source version of, of what's called QuickFix, which is a fix engine whose source code is available. So we set up another computer to be the receiver of these messages. And so the thinking is that since this is able to accept those, those are legitimate messages that we're creating. And you can create fault interruptions, you, know, you can create bad messages, and you'll see that it will, it will reject those. But that's that the main part of the integration is uh, the way it works with everything else is is either through a network or on the software side, it would interface with, we would provide some kind of API, a DLL, that would then interface to their existing software. So in other words, but they would functionality that they currently do in software that has to go through more layers to get to the wire, now will be done by the hardware, by an FPGA. And so those parts can be either removed or you, know, you, have, you have less software that has to be processed. Or go. You have, to, you have less software that you need to run, and things are being offloaded into an FPGA. But it's it's you can really think of it as a it's a it's a network based FPGA card. Do you have control over that? Well, the software communicates with it. In other words, the software has a certain function. Say whether it's for buying or selling, or for whatever it is, or for monitoring information. And now this card, and so normally that information will go through a standard network card. Mm -hmm. And so now in this case, what you do is you have the data. Instead of flowing through the network card, you have it flow through the FPGA, and then that goes, you know, so that goes through the Flex Rio card, and then it goes through uh, the Previs Mimis adapter, and then onto the wire. Then when data is going in, the same way. So, but once once this card is booted up, the FPGA is running; it's ready to go. It just it waits for messages, basically. That's right. That's right. It's it's waiting. It's it's waiting for messages to come in, or for, you know, from either direction, either from the host or from you know, from the wire. And in order to scale that up, you basically buy more cards or stack them together. You could buy more cards. Um, yeah, the way this would scale, for example, there may be different exchanges that you want to communicate with. Right? So this is listening to data just from one exchange, because right? it's just from one uh, one connection. So some of the very some of the exchanges have variations on fix that they use. And right? it's the way we see in the engineering world how everyone will take a standard and then maybe make a small slight change to it to make it, <laughs> make it their own. Yeah. So there are people take what's called the standard fix or what's accepted as fix and they'll make a slight variation. They'll say we use Fix, for example, we use Fix 4.2 um, with these changes, with these alterations. So what you would do is maybe put another one of these cards in and make it so that it works with the variant of Fix. So the, the core logic would be the same, but maybe certain tags and maybe certain message lengths are different. There, there, there's all kinds of different variations that they can have. There's a couple. There's there's a couple of areas. There's other areas that they use that also in the financial world they use 
1588. And this is the PTP, the precision timing protocol. And the, the issue here is that since you're, if you're, if you're consuming market data or generating orders at such a high rate, synchronization is very important. And so you need to have these, these boards, these boards that are sourced by, you know, they have their time as sourced from a GPS antenna. This allows you to have ultimate synchronization because you can have someone that's in New York and then someone that's in Chicago and then maybe London. You know that all those trade messages were timestamped on a clock that's has the same source, GPS. And so this is an area where we see a lot of people providing FPGA solutions in, in finance and a lot of people providing latency latency monitoring solutions that use eighty-eight technology, but there's not a lot of people that are providing both. And so with this platform, you can combine both of these, uh, both of these technologies into one box and in a modular fashion. So you don't have to have 30 FPGAs or you can just go with something that has one FPGA and one of these other 1588 cards and then scale that out. And this timing signal is critical to the calculations? No, no, it's what what it has to do with is your you want to you want to first of all you want to calculate how fast your trade messages are are going uh -huh. right you receive the data and that data has a timestamp itself and that timestamp right now in some cases has a resolution in the nanoseconds and so as they're analyzing a strategy that's that's across different cities you need to be able to measure that you need to know when these things occurred it's it's a classical it's a classical measurement uh, situation right i mean if we use a, it's a synchronization basically it's synchronization i mean if if you think about it if someone is measuring you know, earthquakes that data has to be synchronized. Well, market data also has to be synchronized. Well, it has to be synchronized with different locations. Right, with different locations. So you have, and people are trading, they're, they're, they're not just trading on one, you know, in one city, in one, in one uh, financial center. There, a lot of these bigger firms are trading everywhere. When I say everywhere, I mean Asia, North and South America, Europe. So you, you need this, you need the synchronization. So how is this currently done then? Well, they are using they are using this technology. They are using uh, 1588. But to... it's but it's not integrated into your system. Right now, there's there's companies that offer network cards that have 1588 built in. Oh, I see. And what I, I call that a I call that brute force timestamping. You're timestamping every single uh, network message that's coming in. Uh, but whereas with LiveFPGA with and with Flexrio and with the 1588 boards, you can timestamp financial messages that are coming in. In other words, a lot of these network-based cards. They're at the network level. They don't know about what's further, what's inside that. So you need something that's a little more customizable that can go in and see what's inside, not just at the TCP level, but within the payload of TCP and within the payload of the UDP message. Right. So a lot of these applications, uh, how do you decide sort of as a developer, um, like can you combine some of these tasks on a single PGA board or do you break them out? Like how does that design decision come into play? Like um, <clears throat> is it based on the load of the system? Well, some people are looking at, you, you want to look at expandability. So you want to, you want to, if you could crunch everything, cram everything into one FPGA, say for something that handles data and then algorithms, and then you know order entry maybe one won't put that all on one fpga because you want to scale that out so that way if if either one of those changes or grows you don't want the whole thing to have to get to change and to get retested so that's 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 where that comes into play the other thing that we see is that it's even even with a high level platform that's integrated like like labview you you want to you want to take you still want to take a, a very careful approach here and, and not bite off more than you can chew and and maybe look first at handling data and then look at filtering, then look at the algorithm, kind of do things in phases where you're not just putting the whole thing on FPGAs and then debugging just becomes a, a nightmare and it takes a really long time before the customer can use this or can even realize any benefit from it. Whereas if you just go in small steps and they start using it in production, they can realize a benefit a lot sooner. Do you do a lot of your development on the desktop and then migrate it to FPGA? I guess, I guess for testing that would work yeah. well. Yeah, there's some there's some really good presentations that NI has that talk about creating test harnesses, and this allows you to let LabVIEW run in simulate LabVIEW FPGA run in simulation mode, and that way you can have things instead of being instead of the source being a multicast data feed or t or you know some some data source on the network, you can have maybe a file or a text file a file of some sort or binary file load up. The same FIFO that would load up a FIFO that would look just as like it were coming in from the network, and then on the other side you can receive the data and store that into a file and then just compare it. Uh, so that would be very similar to I haven't studied it too much, but I know the uh, the unit test. I think it's called the unit test framework. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, using using some of those methodologies and combining it with simulation mode of, of simulation mode of LabVIEW FPGA, you can at least test out the fixed point math and the algorithm itself because you. 
we all know that synthesis for FPGAs is something that everyone deals with. You know, it's something that can take hours to even days. And have you, have so you noticed that, those delays on your end with the, uh, the stuff, synthesis? With the stuff the you synthesis? do? Yeah. Yeah. No, no. The synthesis is something that that every everyone everyone faces. That's just a function of FPGAs. The, the placing and routing and, and just going from logic to a bitstream, which a bitstream is the final. It's kind of like the executable, if, if you want to think of it in terms of software. In that sense, in that case, what we do is you develop some intuition after working on these projects for a while so that you know that if you look at something, you're not going to just compile it and just test it. You're going to do a little more thinking before you just hit that compile button because you don't want to wait three hours and then realize that you made some silly mistake. So it makes you a little bit more careful before you do that. And the intuition part comes in where you can almost look at something and say, you know, that's going to take a long time to compile. And you kind of know how the LabVIEW compiler works. You know how the synthesis tools work. You, you almost develop a feeling for what's going to work and what's not. And you try also to use some kind of modularity. So that way you don't, you're not building out the whole thing all at once. And you're just, you're testing out blocks and components. I think and I had a, has a, a product for speeding that up as far as they have server farms, I believe, that you can do that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're, they, they have a beta. It's in beta right now. It's a, the cloud compile, the FPGA cloud compile. That's that's really cool. We've been we've been using that. And what's neat is you can send up a number. I think the most I've ever sent up there at a time is maybe four or five VIs to get compiled. And the nice thing is that there I've never had an issue, a situation where it was limited. Maybe they don't have maybe <laughs> Um, I don't know how many servers there are allocated for this, but I've never had a situation where you know they had to wait and run in serial, but up to five I've sent up there and they've all run in parallel. So that that's a big time saver. I know one time I was somewhere where I didn't have uh, access to power, but I did have access to a network. So I was able to send that up to get compiled and that saved, uh, that saved a lot of battery because my computer didn't have to crunch all that that's pretty cool so have you yeah. noticed, what kind of speed improvement have you noticed um the speed improvement it's more on the parallelization i mean if it's the same this if it's if it's just compiling one vi and my laptop's about a year old so it's not that old or anything like that so it's it will it's it's comparable to what my laptop does yeah. but being that it's in a cloud i mean i would imagine that those may get uh upgraded early, earlier than maybe my laptop or desktop and plus it's asynchronous so you don't have to tie up a whole computer for yeah to do that yeah you can do other things on it it's and you do have to remain connected to the network and connected to that process this would be really cool when they have it set up where you know i've put some of these things onto the idea exchange on the lab fpga side where you know it can maybe send you out send you notifications like email notifications or you know text messages or something like that uh, maybe it tweets you or something like that you know <laughs> i'm kidding but just something where it notifies you and it can run, you know, you can just send those work orders up and you don't even have to have your computer on. And then you just get some kind of notification that it's ready. So for those that are listening that possibly don't have any experience with FPGA in LabVIEW, can you give us a little bit of um, like, what is there a learning curve? If someone knows LabVIEW very well, how hard is it to get started with FPGA? So the environment looks and feels the same. The set of functions are limited where I think I would guess LabVIEW has, it's probably, LabVIEW's number of functions are probably in the thousands. The FPGA cores are, the LabVIEW FPGA cores, I think are in the 270 range, last I checked. And of course, the new version that's going to come out in August, I'm sure they're going to add to that. Um, but overall programming in LabVIEW FPGA, you, you have to think, and you still have to think in terms of hardware. Even if you're a software person with no hardware background, you have to think that this is a chip where this is, uh, it's, you don't get, for example, for example, the the analogy, the example that I always give is in software, you wait until you have the whole variable and then you process that, or you have a string, or you have a, a set of data, or you get a single reading from a channel. Here, not only do you get parts of the, you get, here you get parts of the reading. So imagine you're getting one byte at a time. So I'm talking about like for a network example, we're getting one byte or eight bytes or a certain amount of bytes at a time, and we have to store those in in shift registers or variables or arrays until we get the full message. So this 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 the, the thinking is is very different. You don't have in in hardware you have a fixed amount of space. I mean, in software you have a fixed amount of space, but I think with the amount of RAM that you have, the amount of hard drive space that you can page in as RAM, it's to the user, it's it's virtually unlimited. Pretty much, unless right. you're doing uh, sort of intense image processing or something right. like that. Right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, but but in hardware, you you have to consider those limits. Uh, you know, it, it's a it's a very important consideration earlier on. So you have to think more efficiently. You have to think, you know, even 
even just inst instantiating an array on the FPGA, that's going to take up logic. And so that's that's logic that you won't be able to use for other other parts of it, memory, or that's or sometimes it'll just take up flip flops. So you'll have less you'll have less uh, less less room for for computing. So there, there's there's a, there's there's quite a few considerations. I think it's good for someone to start really start with the examples. You know, someone may be a, a real pro at LabVIEW. For Windows or for, you know for general LabVIEW, um, but in FP with with LabVIEW FPGA, you it's it's probably a good idea to work your way up from the beginning. You may go through that quickly because you are you know one the, the person may be in mind may be an already an expert, uh, but I think it is good to just start start from square one and just do the exam do the examples, take a look at the exercises, take a look at the things that are online, and you know of course ask people that you know peers that can help you out. So that's 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 a general that's, that's what I would say for someone that's uh, looking at this. This add-on. So, what what have you found as being one of the the best uh, hardware, like the best boards that'll fit what you're doing, what the applications you're building? I know there's a limited amount of um, FPGA gates, right? There's like you buy it based on how many gates or something like that. It's gates, and and now they use they, they've. It seems like they've stopped using gates. Now they're using LUTs, which stands for uh, lookup tables, and then they also use DSPs, and they, they use these. Uh, uh, th there's other there's other items that they will categorize them by. Um, yeah, so so NI's boards use a, a certain group of, of of FPGAs. They use the Vertex line from Xilinx. The good thing is the Vertex line is is one of the higher end lines, and uh, you know so so in in some ways you have that's you can you they have a, a range. I think they the, the smallest one they have is maybe an LX50, which has 50 LUTs, 50,000 LUTs, and then the largest one I think has 110,000 LUTs. Uh, and to give you an idea, the the latest one from Xilinx, the latest one is a Vertex Seven. All the all the NI stuff there, as of, as of now is a Vertex Five. The latest Vertex Seven, to give you an idea, has two million LUTs. So the biggest one that NI has right now is 110,000. And so there's this technology is, is is still it's it's still growing. It still has a lot to gain from Moore's law. It hasn't hit the limit that CPUs have. And the, and the nice thing is by using a platform like LabVIEW, you're just gonna you know when the new boards come out. For the most part, we can pretty much expand out and, and we'll have, just have more logic available to us, more space. So the FPGA module, um, it has um, it has the FPGA and then there's the there's RAM, right? Yeah, so an FPGA has what's called block RAM. And for people that are more on the processor side, you think of think of that as your cache. That's pretty much part of the FPGA. And so you have that's that's one clock cycle to access that. So it's very it's deterministic uh, and the, the lowest latency. But you also have the least amount of that. Usually it's about a megabyte. The newer ones have a couple of megabytes of of, uh, of block RAM. And then on board on the actual PC board that contains the FPGA, uh, there's boards that have uh, up to half a gigabyte of, of RAM. And in that case, the access may be a little bit slower than what you can access inside the FPGA, but you're still the only one that's accessing it. That FPGA chip is the only one that can access it. No other peripheral or device on the, in that computer can go in through and access it without going through that FPGA first. And even with accessing of the RAM, you're doing everything from scratch. You're selecting the addresses that you're going to put everything into. You know, you can overwrite memory. It's not going to tell you that you overwrote memory, that you know you can't go here or anything like that. It's it's you have you have raw access to the hardware. Does that mean that it's a lot more prone to errors? <laughs> to, it could to, be. To programmer it could errors? be. So you, it could be. So you just have to be really careful about how you do the addressing. That you know you don't you don't overwrite data. So I mean it's again those are I don't think that's something that a that a good programmer can't handle. It's just the way I see it is it's an extra step in the design process and. You, you have to think about that. The good thing is once you do a couple of problems that involve uh, different amounts of memory or accessing memory, it becomes part of your, your you know, it becomes something that you can handle and it, I want to say it becomes routine, but it's something that you can do a lot more easily. And as part of, uh, you know, the transition from normal LabVIEW desktop to FPGA. Yeah. The good thing, the good thing, the one advantage that LabVIEW has over most other interfaces, even the higher level um, HDL interfaces is that being graphical it's it's i think it's a lot more intuitive and you, you can look at a, a set of uh, c code or java code that will port into hdl or even vhdl and ask someone ask a layperson to tell you which parts of these are going to run in parallel not to mention the fact that it's hundreds of, or thousands of lines of code and you show them the equivalent lab view which is graphical and it's by way of data flow and, and gra being graphical it's just so much more intuitive so that's where you have a, a huge advantage uh, a lot of things like timing, you have the single cycle time loop, things things that you have to worry about at the lower level, this here abstracts you out, abstracts out for you. Um, but with single cycle time loops, you can, you still have a determinism. Things will still run at a, at a specified rate, assuming that the hardware can handle it. 
So it, it sounds like you've you started uh, from... So you've been doing other things with LabVIEW as well, correct? That's right. So how far back do you remember you working with LabVIEW? So I first saw LabVIEW in 1995. I was, I was in college and it was version 3, I believe. We had to use it for a, like a freshman engineering class. And I, I can't say that I was that, that, it, I, that receptive to it. But then in 1998, I was hired at, I was hired at UL underwriters laboratories to do uh, automation of, of safety testing and I, I guess it was more of a formalized environment there was a team that I was working for so it was uh, I, I saw the benefits of it and I saw that I was able to quickly write programs and and you could see the the, the return that you know you could see the benefit of, of what you were you know what we would write so I, I go way back <laughs> I know some people have used LabVIEW since version one so I can't that far well, back. Yeah, that's pretty far. But I think from <laughs> version three was this, the one that I started with. Yeah. Um, I started using it uh, in industry, first of all, not in school. So, so I kind of yeah. had to learn it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think when I met you at NI Week, you had just left UL, I believe. That's right. And you were that's starting right. on your own. Can you can you describe a little bit of that transition from going from working for someone to going on your own? Yeah, it was it was something that I always wanted to do. I always wanted to. I always had this entrepreneurial mind so in some ways i was i was ready for it and the the ni alliance program gave me that was sort of a vehicle for me to uh do this and to uh, there was a lot less structure you have to create a lot of things from scratch things that you take for granted at a big company you now have to become your you're 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 the you're the you're the go-to person for everything right and also uh being where you are how was the industry sort of receptive to your skills did you find uh, a lot of projects that you could work on the main area that we work in is is in long island and there's there's some acceptance to it there is there's the there's the usual uh, you know battle where you have uh, people that prefer the alternative approaches, uh, but here in Long Island, there's there's quite a few companies that are you know, that use the NI platform. Uh, Brookhaven National Labs is here. Northrop Grumman has some offices. Lockheed Martin. There's, there's and there's a number of other companies as well here. So it's it's uh, you know Long Island is not what it was from what I hear 40 years ago or 50 years ago when they were developing. This was the center for developing the LEM the lunar module, and then later on the F-14. Um, but so it's not as centralized as it was before, where it was just one big company like Northrop Grumman uh, doing a lot of these projects. So um, so you're currently with the same company that you started um, a while so, back, so, or how does that, how have you migrated over the years? So what we've done is, yeah, the ALE system integration is is an NI Alliance partner. And so to we created Wall Street FPGA to rebrand ourselves uh, for the financial world because it was... He, it's it's a special it's a specialty. When we first started it about two years ago or three years ago, we, the ideas were still forming, and so now it's uh, they're separate entities, they're separate companies, uh, but there's a lot of, of of sharing of resources and information between the two. And uh, so Wall Street of PGA is uh, a brand that you created for this. Um, I guess it's a product or is it a technology? It's, so Wall Street of PGA is a is a company. It's it's we started out as a as a portal uh, for people that have questions on using FPGAs or for people that want to use LabVIEW FPGA and so it's we see it as we see it as is still evolving we're open to people if people want to publish something on there uh, and we also want to make it we just want to make it a general resource. So how did you get involved with FPGA to begin with? Because you started with regular LabVIEW and then at some we point, did, well, 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 it was with is is it was. The applications it was it was the financial applications. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, and in some ways it's even a, a it, it's a testament to the the flexibility of the platform. And we started out very simple. I mean, the, the first thing that we did was what's called Buffon's needle, and this is a very old Monte Carlo method for calculating pi. What what did you call it? It's called Buffon's needle. Oh, okay. It's a French mathematician from two or three hundred years ago who came up with a way of calculating pi. So he would have a, a bunch of lines drawn on a piece of paper, and he would drop, I forget the algorithm exactly, but he would drop a needle. And depending on where the needle would land, if it would cross both lines or one line or no lines, he would apply that. He would That was the that was the random event that he would repeat. And then the distance between the lines, the length of the needle, and I don't know if I'm missing any other factors, all those factors would come into play, and that would give you, you would, you would essentially calculate pi. And so since pi is something we know, we thought that was a very good algorithm to begin with and and code that up and, and see how we can do that on an FPGA. And we, we coded that up and had it working in on a Saturday. Yeah. And then after that we looked at other, you know, we looked at other algorithms, we looked at 
uh, option pricing, which we have a paper on on our on Wall Street of PGA. And option pricing also uses a Monte Carlo method. So we just we we just ex- expanded out our our knowledge and and the types of applications that we would do. So where are you planning on taking this, Terry? How what's the future look like? I think the future is uh, it's our go- our goal with this right now. We're 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 our, our goal right now is to do custom systems. And we're we're getting to know the market and the, its needs uh, a lot better, and we 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 see what the the requests are. And at the at the current moment, there's a couple of ideas that we have for products where we can go a little more vertical within the financial world and build specific products that that solve a, a very you know something very specific. So that's that's our uh, our plans for this. And we we hope that more people more uh, more people in the financial world can see the the benefits of of using LabVIEW PGA because it can really Allow them to it can allow them to program FPGAs a lot faster and, and break that mold that they have right now that that mindset that FPGAs take a really long time. Well, not if you have LabVIEW, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, and and also uh, taking uh, also getting into other industries as well that need sort of these fast calculations. That's right. That that's right. The, the high performance comp- high performance computing area is is something that's getting a lot of a lot of press. It's, it's uh, it's to me it seems like it's replacing supercomputing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where the where one draws the line, but certainly certainly I think that it can find its way into a lot of other areas. That by way of being a high level graphical language, you're not customizing boards, you're not refabricating boards, or you're not making your own boards. By cutting out a lot of those steps in the process, you can you can do things much faster. You can build things much faster, and that's where that's where I think that the general high performance computing industry, which covers a lot of industries, can benefit from this this technology. Have you taken some of the knowledge learned developing the FPGA platform for Wall Street for any other industries or any other products? Yeah, so before we got deeper into the financial applications, we looked at the idea of algorithmic acceleration. We didn't just look at the financial algorithms. So there was a, there's a number of, a number of algorithms that, that can, be, can be put onto an FPGA. Uh, one was in bioinformatics. There's an algorithm called Smith-Waterman, which is where you're doing pattern matching and searching long patterns of of uh, DNA or amino acid chains, and so this process can be is very much parallelizable and can be and is, is something that an FPGA can be uh, can can accelerate this process. These these searches from the, some of the papers that I've read can take days and up to even 100 days. There's uh, there's S parameters embedding and de-embedding, so this is matrix math for uh, analyzing uh, radio signals. There's tomography, which is image analysis. So there's a, a and there's a whole slew of other algorithms as well that that can be used by FPGAs to accelerate uh, processing. And because an FPGA, as we all know, is something that's dedicated to a specific problem, and it cuts out a lot of the overhead and generalization, I guess, that a CPU has. So there's many industries that this can be used in, even in in the the defense world. There's there's uses you know, for analyzing signals that are coming through, or for uh, cryptography, cracking codes. I'm not too familiar with a lot of those applications, but I know that as as we started to look at the, the different applications, it's 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 a, it's very broad, surprisingly very broad. Yeah, and they're very cool too. Yeah, <laughs> code cracking. Yeah, we even found one where you could you could crack the different keys that are out there on the wireless networks you know we don't not that we sanction any of this but it was something that you know there's, there's a lot of cool things that you can do with fpgas because you have a lot of processing parallel processing power and the term that i use that i've come to use is that on an fpga in computing a lot of people think in terms of cores and they say okay i have four cores i have 10 cores i have 100 cores but an fpga even it applies if you want to speak in language with the rest of the computing world and reason, because an FPGA has resizable cores. You know, I could create an FPGA that has 10 processing parallel processing elements that do one thing and then another one that does something else. So that the idea of a core is, is in the world of FPGAs can even be restricted at, at the risk of, I don't want to alienate people that think in terms of cores. It's a, it's a very different way of thinking of computing. Yeah, you've opened up my mind, man. I mean, I'm thinking of all kinds of opportunities now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, as far as you know, using FPGAs. Yeah, there's definitely there's a there's a lot of applications that, and I think making them more accessible with a with a graphical environment can make that difference. That I, I don't know if the original designers at, at NI even were thinking of this, but it's they. They, they made it flexible enough. They made it also high level enough where you're not worried about timing issues and things that uh, people that are programming at, l- at lower level code are, are concerned with. And it's it's funny. It's, it's a funny thing that'll happen. A lot of times when I talk to people that are used to that, I say, so how are you dealing with timing and how are you dealing with these things? And, you know, you, it's it's almost a non-existent issue. And the integration of the of the tool is is so good that we, we're able to, you know, what we see in the simulation is pretty much what we see in hardware in terms of, you know, processing of the data and, and how things 
know, just how how the how the math works. So it's 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 pretty awesome. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> but yeah, we're we're pretty we're pretty open in terms of if people have a, a different type of application and they say, you know, it's a the industry that we may not have worked in, we we could, we're, we're open to sharing some of our insights with people. If someone is in a completely unrelated sector and they're saying, you know, I want to use it for some kind of algorithmic acceleration. We've we've done a lot of research in that area and so, you know, some of those links are in the LinkedIn group and we, we we've Try to share them as much as possible. There's always stuff that we just haven't isn't in sync with what we have public. So we're always we're always open to that. We we think it's uh, it's really cool to to expand the types of applications you can do. So if someone wanted to get uh, in contact with you, do you have a Twitter account that they can follow yeah. you? Yeah, we have a Wall Street FPGA Twitter account, and we're we're on LinkedIn. We've created a LinkedIn group called Wall Street FPGA. And there's quite a few members in there. There's, I think, at the last I checked, about 275 members. So that's a good resource, a place where people can get more information and learn more about what we're doing. And I've also created on the NI community page, I've created a, a page called LabVIEW in Finance. And this is to people that are coming from, from the NI side of things, whether it's NI the company or uh, users, this is a good place for them to start in terms of realizing how it can be used. That it's not just, you know, we're not analyzing balance sheets or something or profit and loss statement, something that's very static and changes maybe four times a year. Something that <laughs> a lot, you know, we're not doing someone's taxes or anything like that. This is something that's, it's it's a lot more dynamic. It's, it's a uh, it, High performance computing. And and your your main website is, is what? The main website is wallstreetfpga.com. That was another exciting episode. Thank you for listening to the VI Shots Lavi podcast. I would like I would also like to thank my guest, uh, Terry Stratovakis. Thanks, Mike. Make sure to visit the show notes page on vishots.com to find the links to the content that we talked about in this episode and uh, a way to get a hold of Terry. You can also leave a comment there with any questions. Uh, just search for episode eight for the VishOS podcast, or you can send us an email at, to feedback at vishots.com. Thank you and bye for now. You mentioned the flash crash uh, earlier. What exactly is that? So the, the flash crash is where in literally in a matter of minutes, mm -hmm. the market went down hundreds of points. The Dow Jones Industrial Average. There were some companies that these were later later on, they, they attributed them to erroneous messages, but some companies valuation went down to close to zero. And you know some messages, trade messages, had to be reviewed. Um, and it's a, it's something that was analyzed in depth. By, there's a lot of papers that have been written about it. But in a nutshell, what happened was the, the best analogy that I that I heard was that there's a lot of program trading going. You know, computer computer trading that are just programs buying and selling based on certain algorithms. And there's traders monitoring them the way someone would monitor like an autopilot. Like they can pull the plug at any point. So what happened was there were some large sell orders that went in. And at the same time, there was some uh, negative news coming in. There was some, I don't know if there was the, an earthquake, I think in Iceland at the same, or a, not an earthquake, I'm sorry, uh, volcanic eruption. Uh, there was a credit crisis in Europe. <laughs> Led by Greece, fortunately. Yeah, it's all our fault. That's right. <laughs> well, I always say that we're first at everything. And so now we're first at the crisis too. <laughs> so all these things uh, working together, you know, the, because the market can be very, uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's an emotional aspect to it as well. Uh, they, 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 they saw that someone put in a very large sell order. And what happened was that created this sort of hot potato where computers were, would buy it. And then they would see that it's not good. You know, the, the valuation was not good and they would sell it. And who would buy it? That quickly another computer and so it just would spiral down and then it you know it just took a lot of other things with it of course one person that i've spoken to said that this should be called the flash bounce because then it, at some point people saw that there were, there were a lot of bargains out there and the market itself recovered but this shows that there's the markets can be not only very very volatile now but there's also things are happening very quickly and one has to be able to respond to these things quickly and an, an fpga is, a, is one of those ways of doing that yeah i mean uh, it's all computers making these decisions, uh, split second, nanosecond decisions. Yeah. And they have some models in there. They have some algorithms that are, that are making these decisions. And again, I, I don't think anybody has these computers just running all day without any, any, anyone monitoring them, but they're, but to make a, a microsecond trade order or decision, that's certainly not, a, not human based.